Hello, you're listening to a Zen Studies Society podcast. To learn more about our community of Zen Buddhist practitioners, please visit zenstudies.org. I'm happy to uh, join Mandala Day with you, and I welcome today's talk by Chigan Roshi. Good morning. From this local point of view, being in this global forum now, not being aware clearly where the listeners find themselves of these wonderful threefold Sangha meetings, it might not be morning. It might not be Sunday anymore. Yet here on the East Coast of the United States in the Eastern Daylight time zone is today, Sunday, April 18th. And spring is coming. Even though last week here we had some snow, a good amount. This awareness of our global presence is not just something that we as the ones presenting talks and ceremonies should be aware of. It is something that we all can be aware of because it speaks to the larger awareness of the whole. The Northern Hemisphere calls it spring. In the Southern Hemisphere, fall is turning in. Even though it is light where we might be sitting right now, on the opposite side of this globe, this rock with a thin crust of stone on the outside and liquid innards, it's dark. Simultaneously, light and darkness manifest themselves. Just we believe from where we are sitting, from where we are standing, this is how it is. So today is the fourth mandala day of this year. And if we count, even though it's just April, many ceremonies memorials and commemorations already have passed. And at times you might ask yourself, what are all these ceremonies for? Why are these Zen people doing so many ceremonies? And it's a good thing to ask ourselves. We just heard in this Mandala Day ceremony, a long list of names of Dharma ancestors, many of them ordained, many of them not, but all predecessors, human beings who walked this path before us, before we started walking it, some of them parallel and in this form that we practice, 
we express our gratitude through these ceremonies and not only gratitude for the teaching and for the tradition, but also to take it as an opportunity to bring it alive right here out of our hearts in front of your hearts in front of your eyes in this one sangha that we become when we chant into this one sangha we become when we bow for us who are ordained this is part of our training this is part of the function that we fulfill in the formal context of the Rinzai Zen school. It's formal education. Yes, it is. But ultimately, it is not the outward that counts here. It is not the specific way we do it. But what it is, it is our learning how to embody, how to make real that living treasure of the Buddha Dharma that has perpetuated throughout time and space. We could say, for us, it is the craft we learn. The craft we learn in this context of being ordained Rinzai Zen practitioners. And it is important to know the craft can be learned. And then comes the practice of Zen that turns the craft into an art. And craft turns into art at the moment where the self completely disappears. And this is not different from what you might be experiencing in your lives. So please see this as a demonstration and manifestations of one craft to become an art, of one expression of living human spirit, but not, of course, the only one. We have to take this out into all crafts, into all professions, into all parts of our lives. It is a quality of action. It is a quality of presence. And it is a quality of becoming completely free from self-consciousness and from the formal aspect. This is one of the wonderful conundrums or paradoxical areas of this practice and this training. Within the box, freedom is developed because there is no other way to leave the box before we are free within those constraints we find. Yeah, we can call it constraints, but this human body also is like a box. It is constrained. Where this nose ends, it ends. 
and becoming truly free within this box of flesh and skin is a wonderful undertaking. So the formality that we learn is necessary for us to develop that freedom within. And once we have learned that, we can be truly informal and manifest ourselves informally in whatever we do. Now, this is not different than the crafts that we find in our Sangha. We all know in whatever field we have our profession, the craft can be learned. Yet, not everybody becomes to the point or comes to the point to truly have it become an art. When the self falls away, art comes into existence. The self can learn craft very well, but it has to get out of the way for the true art to emerge. And this also applies to living. There are many, many ways, many crafts of living. We can become very adept at interacting as the craft says we should at presenting ourselves, but as long as it's based upon any kind of idea of self-centeredness, it will be a mere craft. Devotion to whatever we manifest in the moment is really the devotion to the present moment not to an idea, not to a mask, not to a projection that we have to put up craftily, but to artfully appear in this moment appropriate to the way, to that what miraculously unfolds every moment, every place, every event. every action, every little task that we might undertake in these lives without exception. There is one easy way to tell if we are yet together with it or if we are gone or if we are still there. And a very good indicator for that is comparison. When we truly make that relationship and become one with the action, with our manifestation, our embodiment, there is no distance. Where there is no distance, there is no comparison. Hence, where there is comparison, definitely distance immediately appears. Distance breaks up this being able to become truly one. We all know it. Self-consciousness. Oh, I have to say something in front of all of these people. 
or musicians or actors suffering from stage fright. Oh, terrible. Again, comparison creates this wide gap that like a chasm is very, very different, very difficult to overcome. Even in our formal context, chanting, I have to lead the chant. Here is the I that creates the distance. Did I do this right? Distance is apparent. So let's not compare where comparison is not necessary. Let's compare very carefully where comparison is needed. If you work in the lumber yard and you have to compare the length of the piece of lumber that you cut to the measuring stick, you better pay good attention. Measure twice, cut once. But when it comes to manifesting yourself as a human being in society, in the Sangha, in your relationship with your loved ones, or in relationship with nature, with whatever seems to be the other, no comparison is necessary. Of course, even our Buddhist practice has the aspect of self in it. Bodhicitta, Bodhaishin, that orientation towards becoming no self is skillful means, and it is called skillful means because it, it, it still lies in the realm of having a self but a self that hears and that responds to that intuitive gravitational pull of making itself disappear, making itself complete. So here's a big difference. Disappear always, oh, we have to get rid of it. No, it's just incomplete. It is just incomplete and it longs. We long for becoming complete. No subtraction, nothing is subtracted, but nothing is added at the same time. It's the realization, the giving up even of the skillful means. So this orientation of bodhicitta in our lives and in our practice can take two basic forms, you know? I was taught in the teaching of the Tathagata Zen or Nyoko Nyorai Zen, thus come, thus gone that there are two directions here. One is the direction of expansion, where we become bigger, 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 bigger. Our consciousness is there and expands, expands so big that it forgets about any self, but still hears, sees, becomes one with all of that and action as well. Presence in the world one type of samadhi that completely consumes everything while awake and while conscious. Of course, there's the other direction that we learn to manifest in the Zendo, doing Zazen. Smaller, 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 smaller. Until 
even that consciousness disappears. Body and mind and world and everything falls off, completely disappear. A different kind of samadhi. One samadhi is called the king samadhi. The other samadhi is called the no conflict samadhi. So the dissolution in either way means that there is no distance. There is no separation. That separation goes away. This reminded me of uh, a book that I have in my bookshelf, which goes back to 1994. And it is a book that was created for my first teacher's 70th birthday and his 15 year anniversary of teaching back in Austria, Genro Seon. And for this book, I was asked to write something. And sometimes I go back and look through these books and find, and here I found my own writing from 1994. There are many pictures in here, including this one, which I believe here, this is Genro Osho. And on this side, you see somebody that is about 20, oh, I don't know, many, many years older now. <laughs> and the title of what I wrote at that time was The Next Step Still Lies Ahead. And I started reflecting upon it from a point of view of 27 years later. And of course it's true, the next step always lies ahead. This piece again was a piece of gratitude to my teacher at the time Genro and to Joshua Roshi who I already had been ordained with. And also it was a motivational piece for the Sangha because that was the year where I disappeared from the Austrian Sangha and moved to the United States. So we have to keep going, we have to keep going. And of course, as we keep going at some point, it becomes clear to us that even that keeping going and that next step is such an upaya, such a skillful mean that we use within our daily practice to get to that point where that self disappears. But once craft turns into art, the craft of living and the craft of practicing turns into the art of practicing, there is no more next step. There is just walking. There is just living. And now remember the masters of old. There is just eating. There is just sleeping. There is just ordinary activity. This bodhisattva path is the walking of it. Just walking steadily, devoted fully to whatever 
the activity of Dharma presents to us. And what is it? This is the way to become and to be the person we always aspired to be, maybe even unknowingly. But it's also the only way, not only for meeting these aspirations, but also for becoming an inspiration to all sentient beings who yet have to enter the path or who are on this path and who are taken along through that movement of our dedication. And let's make sure that we become that person that we expect others to be, that we expect others to live up to, and that we don't just remain in that realm of upaya and use it yet as another measuring stick. The craft of living can be learned. The art of no self must be painstakingly developed through dedication, through dedication. And one path to this is this path of formal Rinzai Zen practice. There are many, many other paths that lead to this. But one thing they have in common, each of us, we have to find out ourselves how we can collapse this distance where the otherness comes from, how we can gap that what makes relationship difficult. And when we do that, the most wonderful things happen. Find out. Please find out for yourselves and always remember to be that person that we aspire to be. Why should we wait? This is the time to be the best and the most of what we can be. Thank you again, Chigong Roshi, and to everyone who spoke so eloquently from the heart this morning. And now we will end with great vows for all. This has been a Zen Study Society podcast. If you found it to be of interest, please consider making a donation by visiting zenstudies.org donate. Thank you for listening.